Yeah, my problem, I spanked him. Yeah, you, How did he gonna be yeah, as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing Chuck on the other side. That's how easy that was. And he better than us? Are you serious, James? I said, I said, Gerard's a great fighter. He's fighting 130 pounds. <laughs> no, he said, you gonna beat my what? You gonna beat my what? He's a great fighter, fight 130. I think he beat Lemon Chico. You starting to say all these big words. I'm, I'm starting to take it as disrespect. I'm telling you. You don't even Look, we could die. Look, we could argue all day. We could argue all day. But look, fuck. What are you saying? No one has knocked you out. I'll fucking knock you out, bro. Dickhead. You fucking gobshite. Hey, um, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where you know people are making jumping ship look fashionable now you know you, uh man i've just seen the the kind of news and nonsense around joshua Bartzi joining boxer and sky and man this this will be a quick one luckily so i mean if you've got your cardio to do this might not be the one because it's gonna be pretty quick i don't understand the logic of it I want to focus on, on let, let, let's, let's focus on the backstory initially, and then let's get to where we are today. So Josh has 16 fights, all of which have been on Matchroom, all of which have been under the umbrella of Eddie Hearn, right? Under the guidance of Eddie Hearn and pretty much all of them 258 management. 16 fights. You can't name me 10 people Joshua Watsi's fought without jumping on box wreck. You really, really can't. Like, he he signed, and for the first 10 fights, he was fighting guys who were being pulled up for middleweight, super middleweight, basically being pulled out of the swamp. They're the guys he was fighting, and we were saying this at the time, and people said, no, he's learning, he's got to learn his trade, this, that, and the third. And remember all that kneeling before God and thanking God and all this sort of stuff. And at all of these interviews, he had Eddie Hearn round his arm. And you never saw him look uncomfortable with Eddie Hearn on his, with his arm around him. You never saw him look uncomfortable. You never saw him look distressed. You never saw him look disappointed. But the fans were. The fans were watching going, but you're an Olympic bronze medalist. Let me say, an Olympic bronze medalist. So as we're watching Joshua Bartz, we're watching Lawrence O'Coley get fed to the Lions every time. And like Daniel in the Lions' den, he tamed every lion. Every lion put in front of him, Lawrence tamed. Meanwhile, we're watching Joshua Bartzi going, but you're the more accomplished amateur here. You're the more accomplished guy. You're the, the future of this matchroom franchise. After Joshua's gone, we're looking to you. And you're fighting Ryan Ford and Paraban. And these guys are making it tricky for you. And they're not supposed to. You're fighting guys like Jordan Joseph. And these are wins that you... You had to thank God for because without him it wasn't possible. I think my I think my mum could have taken Jordan Joseph in that fight. So then you fight, I don't know who he fought, like his last two fights, it was Spider, maybe Bolotniks, right? Bolotniks is just the guy who, who was made famous by MTK. Still tells us nothing about whether Bartzi's world level. And I think I said this at the time. Why are they not investing money in Joshua Bartzi? What is it they know that we don't know? What was it they know that we don't know? What had they seen? 
Were the matchroom seen or heard? Because they started to walk back from that rhetoric of this guy's going to win all the belts towards, yeah, he's a good fighter. And then I think you saw in the Craig Richards fight that maybe Boatsy's kind of found his level there. Because Craig... If Craig had had a bit more belief, if Craig had upped the ante and said, I'm going to just try taking this guy's head off, I don't know if Craig would have lost that fight. I don't believe he would have. So, draw a line there. Up until that point, after fight number 16, Joshua Barsi's been sold to us as this guy. Best light heavyweight in the country, better than Yard, better than Aziz, better than Richards, better than Shakan Pitters. Better than Lyndon Arthur. You won't include Lyndon in this out of respect. Because they face each other in the amateurs. A fight we wanted to see. A fight that could have been made. Never got made. And so in the boxing world. In the sort of South London boxing world. We're all trying to figure out. What's going on with Josh? Why is his career stalling when Lawrence is flying? Why is his career stalling when Dan Aziz is moving so fast along, alongside him? And he, to an extent past him now. How has this happened? No answers were coming out. But you started to see little bits of friction. Josh wasn't as tight with AJ like he was. He wasn't as tight with 258. We don't see Josh in any endorsements. I think he might have done a Nike on an Adidas thing for a bit. But that was it. We just saw him on a billboard. So what work did they really do? Maybe they didn't have anything to work with. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's what I can say with absolute certainty. He hasn't got any better. From the guy that beat, it was a Dex Spellman he beat. He hasn't got much better than that. It's still the same trick. It's just, I'm going to throw as many shots as I can. A few of these are going to hit you, a few are not. And that's cool in the amateurs, right? You're going to score loads of points and you're going to overwhelm your opponents. In the pros, you can only do that for so many rounds before guys start to fight back. And if they fight back the same way you attack them, I don't know if you can stand up to that. There are all sorts of sparring rumors that you hear, and some of them are true, some of them are not. But he's not a monster. And fans know this, and fans can intuitively pick this up. And all this God stuff is cool, but if you're entertaining the fans, you're not entertaining the fans. Like... All that other stuff is nice when you're performing. And he hasn't been performing. And we all know that. So you get to a point where... If I'm Eddie Hearn, I'm like, what am I doing with this guy? Now, I don't know if he had a guaranteed deal. I don't know if he was being paid things for certain. I don't know the ins and outs of his contract. Because quite frankly, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like The light heavyweight scene in this country has been flying without him. So... If you think about kind of that, that sort of post-pandemic wave when we thought, right, this is the time for Josh to shine. We heard rumours that he was offered a yard fight. Clearly, Team Yard have seen something they like in Josh. That got rubbished. Yeah, got offered the fight, got rubbished. You know, Hearn then comes out in the media, yeah, yeah, we'll fight anyone, we'll fight anyone, no one wants to fight. He ends up fighting Craig, that's a good fight. Then the rumours start coming around that he's going to fight Bivol for a million quid. And you're like... Mm -hmm. And I was having this argument with a friend of mine. Do you take that fight 
And I was like, part of me is like, yeah, you take that fight, but the Dan Aziz fight is also a legacy fight. So I could understand why you'd want to look at both of those as options. But the reality is Bivol's a world champion. And if you think you're at that level, this is your chance to show us because nothing else indicates that. So instead of that, what does he do? He says, right, I'm not going to resign with Matchroom. I'm not going to resign with 258. I'm going to manage myself. Don't know if that's temporary or permanent. I'm going to go over to Boxer. And here's where I feel sorry for Eddie Hearn. The esteem in which we hold Joshua Boatsy now is mostly down to Eddie Hearn. No one else was banging the drum as hard as Eddie Hearn was. A lot of Joshua's identities tied in with Eddie Hearn because Eddie was the guy that was telling us this man is the real deal. Nobody else was doing that. People were singing his praises, but no one advocated for him the way that Eddie Hearn did. No one banged that drum. And this is a lesson for people in boxing. You've got to know what works best for you. I think he's a matchroom guy. I think you're one of two kinds of boxers. You're a guy whose talent speaks for itself. Um, Dan, Yard, um, you know, those sorts of people, like a Eubank Jr. And you don't need an Eddie Hearn type guy. Then you're like a guy like Josh, and it's like, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. At that point, you need an Eddie Hearn type guy who's going to bang the drum and drown out the naysayers. Josh needed that. So I find it really, really odd that right now we are talking about Joshua Bartzi going to Sky and Boxer. Because they haven't done anything for anyone. They haven't done a thing for anyone. Unless you're Tasha Jonas. They gave Tasha a platform and it's fantastic to see what she's done. That's about it. They revitalized Johnny Nelson, give him their due. Like Johnny is now a, a must-see pundit. Whereas at Matchroom, he wasn't. But Johnny was a man that didn't need Matchroom. In fact, they did him more harm than good. And maybe he was goofing off on Matchroom, almost as like a, a show of sub subversion. And if he was, then that was utter genius. But Sky haven't really... They haven't really thrown their lot in with anyone yet. And maybe they've been waiting for guys like Okoli and Boatsy. And I, I get that, but here's my question. Why didn't you do that for Dan Aziz? Dan Aziz put Sky and Boxer on his back and carried it. He said, I'm, I'm your guy. I'll do that for you. I'll win things for you. I'll go abroad for you. Oh, you want to expand into Europe? Yeah, yeah, I'm part of that mission. I'm seeing that now with Caroline Dubois and Jamie TKV. We'll help you. What are they going to get back? Because Josh ain't put into this. And people can say that he fought on Sky before the DAZN thing. I get that. Yeah, 100%. But he jumped ship. And when he jumped ship, these new guys came and said, this is our ship now. And I'm going to hear people tweeting. I'm going to see it all. I'm going to... Oh, we're going to get Dan Aziz against... Against Joshua Boatsy. Ooh. Number one. Then what? What, what happens after that? If these guys fight September, October time, you do it at the O2, it won't sell out. Josh doesn't sell tickets. Historically, Josh has never sold tickets. Josh used to box and people didn't want to come and watch him fight. Didn't, not that they didn't want to, they just never showed up. Josh isn't the draw that people assume he is. That's why Eddie was going to feed him to Bivol. That's the only way Eddie can pay Josh what he's asking for. 
is to put him on the B side to someone like a Bivol or a Canelo. And that's what Eddie was doing. How do I get my money's worth out of this kid? So I don't know what Ben Shalom's figured out here in terms of how he's going to get his money's worth out of Joshua Bartzi. Because let's break it down. Peterbiev's tied up with, the, with all those belts. He's going to be tied up with guys like Bivol and I'm sure Pascal will come back into the four and there'll be other people who come up. Right? So Peterbiev's going to be tied up. Bivol will be tied up with Peterbiev and then just match room in-house stuff. So where, does, where do you go next? You want Joshua Bartzi, a guy whose career has stalled for the last four years, to fight Dan Aziz, a guy who is in form, European champion, one notch away from being world champion. Why should Dan's career be held back so he has to fight Josh? That's the question I'm trying to ask. Why does Dan have to be held back? That's what they're going to do. They're going to hold Dan back. At this point now, we should be talking about Dan fighting for one of the world championships or fighting a Joe Smith Jr., you know, that final eliminator stage, fighting a Pascal, whoever. Now we're talking about him fighting Josh, and I think it, right now it feels like a step backwards for Dan. It does. Remember, Joshua Bartz is a guy who was a matchroom for years and not once did I want to fight Callum Smith. Not once. So what are we going to get from him? We're going to get fluff. <laughs> We're going to get fluff. What are they going to do? They dig up Miles Shinquin. Oh yeah, here. Josh is going to fight Miles Shinquin now. Yay! Whoop-dee-doo! We know what's going to happen. May 6th, whenever he fights, they're going to put him in with some, some guy we don't know who's not very good but has been highly ranked by, by some fluke, right? No idea who they'll dig up. They'll dig somebody up, some Romanian, someone from Ireland. They'll dig someone up who will be like, well, who's this guy? And they'll tell us, oh, he's ranked number 23 on box record. We'll go, ah, nonsense. That's who he's going to fight. And then what do you do with Watsi next? Do you put him in with Lyndon? Do you put him in with Shakan? What do you do with him? I don't know. But we're not interested. We're literally not interested because you've gone from, oh, he might fight Yard, he might fight... Uh, Bivol you've gone from that to oh he's going to fight I don't know Joseph Ward I mean I don't know who's he going to fight like I said Miles Shinquin I don't know but it ain't what we were expecting seven years after the Olympics so for me, it's not a good move for Sky. I don't believe they've signed a future star. I just don't believe it. And it's not that I don't like Josh. I'm indifferent to Joshua Boatze. It's that what we were promised is not what he is. He's a British-level operator, maybe European-level operator at best. And Sky have basically just signed another one of the same thing. So they've got all of these guys here, and they're not even making an effort to make them fight each other. Let's do that. If that's the aim, if that's the Ben Shalom plan to get all these light heavyweights in this country to fight each other and entertain the fans, cool. But I'm not sold on that. You know, you look at Josh now. Five years ago, you had Matchroom. You had Joshua and all this. You, you were part of a movement. And now you're, you're, you're on the outside looking in, trying to rebuild. 
And the stuff that he was saying in his interview, for me, was in bad taste. A lot of that stuff was in bad taste. So let's go through kind of his, his key moments in that press conference. One, when he addressed the Bivol situation and he said, yeah, he was offered that money, but it came with strings attached. And I'm like, so you're telling me that Eddie Hearn offered you a million pounds to fight Dimitri Bivol. And you're upset because it came with options that meant you would have been on matchroom for another two or three years. Just break that down. That's 330 grand a year. In the worst case scenario, right? But in those two or three years, you're still fighting. Win, lose or draw, you're still fighting and Eddie's still going to make his money off you. What's wrong with that? I don't see what the problem with that is. Every promoter who has a champion is going to have options on whoever he fights because that's how they make money by retaining control of the belt. If you promise to win and vacate, they wouldn't care about no rematch clauses, no options, no extensions, nothing like that. But that's just how the business works. And he found this out when he went to talk to Frank. And Frank said, oh, I need, I need options on you at least, like three or four fights on you. Because if you win, get my money back. If you lose, I've got to recoup all this money I spent on making that fight. That's how the business works. Both those scenarios could have worked for him. Why are you so proud that you don't want to commit to one of the three biggest broadcasters? Because what, what I'm sure Sky will have options on you. Like it doesn't make any that decision doesn't make any sense. Everyone's going to have options on you. You're not just going to be one and done. That's too much risk for anyone to tolerate. And you're not that big of a superstar. You can be one and done like a Fury can or a Wilder can. And then he's talking about. The zone is a platform that's not big enough. Hmm. But you're still getting paid. Getting paid more than you're going to get paid on Sky. And from what I understand, Josh isn't like the most sponsored athlete in boxing. So what was he really losing out on? Is this just pride because people are just telling him, mate, you're fighting on an app? Was his ego bruised by that? Or is there a wider business consideration? I don't know. But these are questions you've got to ask. But I don't feel you should be kicking Eddie Hearn, a guy who went into bat for you. As long as he thought you two could make money together, he went into bat so hard for you when he didn't need to. He already had Craig. He could have done that with Craig. He chose you. And you've just bit the hand that feeds you. I don't think fans kind of forget that easily. So to say that, I, I didn't really... I didn't take well to that. And now, you know, talking up Sky, this, that, and the third. What do you feel now if you're Ben Whitaker? You're meant to be the face of Sky. You know, then you're the future light heavyweight king. Now Josh is here. That's another name you've got to deal with. You've got Dan Aziz and Joshua Boise. You're like, yo, it's getting quite, getting quite heavy at the top there. Lawrence is coming in. You're competing for bandwidth now. So that open, that open pathway Ben had a year ago been crowded out. Now these, this new breed of Olympians is being held up by the old guard. And you know these guys that Ben Whitaker, be, they'll be looking at Boati like, man, you're just the British Tony Yoka. All that fanfare, all that noise, all that glitz and glamour, and you never delivered for the fans. So when people say this is a great signing, I don't believe it is a great signing for Sky. I think it's just more of the same 
It's not a transformational signing. Where's Dillian? You want to sign someone, sign Dillian. That's the transformational signing for me. Because he will bring something new to Sky. Will bring it back to Sky because he was on there before. You sign him, you sign Fury. Bacoli, Bacoli still got to prove himself. And the fact that you're sending Bacoli out to Poland says you're not 100% convinced by this guy. At some point, we need to see Sky put their money where their mouth is. At some point, we need to see Sky put their money where their mouth is. And one of these people on this roster has to fight someone we acknowledge as being an international star. Otherwise, we're just having our pants pulled down. They're just playing at boxing. So the problem I have with the Boatsy signing is, for me, it's not ambitious enough. What would have been a real statement would have been pulling everyone on the McGuigan stable onto Sky and saying, right, we've got him. Meanwhile, you've got young Josh, and since 2016, he's done absolutely everything wrong. He chose the wrong trainer. and I, I'm, I'm indifferent on Mark Gillespie. I don't know if he's a good trainer or a bad trainer. What I do know is Mark Gillespie is highly successful outside of boxing. He doesn't make his living from boxing. He doesn't really need boxing. There's a reason why he's not at South Norwood in victory anymore. Because he doesn't need the hassle. He doesn't need the ag. So he trains for fun. And that's cool. But where's your hunger when you train for fun? I know this, and I've said this on, on this pod numerous times. The reason I'm not a pro trainer is very, very simple. The money doesn't make sense. And when the money doesn't make sense, you're never as hungry as the boxer is. And when you're not as hungry as the boxer, you're holding them back. So Josh realizes the marketing maybe is not working, then goes to Virgil Hunter. Another bad decision, because historically... The Virgil Hunter approach has worked with absolutely nobody called, or not called Andre Ward, I should say. We saw it with Tony Yoker. There was just nothing there because Virgil Hunter's a man who's 70 now. And he's in that phase in his life where he's more mellow and chilled. He's probably not the intense, driven guy he was when he first got Andre Ward. And people talk about you're getting a teacher. Yeah, but you still need a bit of devil in your teacher. Because that's going to rub off on you. So the choice of trainer I didn't necessarily agree with. So you've got a guy who's, who's making these choices. And they're not the smartest choices. As much as he talks about he made these decisions rationally. No, he didn't. So I don't know. I don't think the Sky thing is a boon. Because Sky is not the home of world championship boxing. So where's the upside? I don't get it. When we had when we had Yard and Baturbiev in the UK, who came out to see Baturbiev? Who came out to see that fight? No one really. That's why it was at the Wembley Arena, not the O2, not a stadium fight. No one came out. You need that match from Razumataz. Like they just seem to do it better. I just don't see how Josh is going to do better on Sky than he would on Matchroom. But one of the things no one talks about is 
this need to be having these lengthy camps. Like he was known for, you know, I can't fight until I'm 100% ready. What? Pardon? Huh? Now think about this. Craig Richards. Terry, do you know I want to box a super middleweight for a while? You sure about that, Craig? You're kind of big. Now I'm going to stay at super mid, win a few titles, then decide. A few days later, Craig, do you want to fight Frank Bullioni at 175? What does Craig say? Yeah. Yeah, I'll fight him. Acquitted himself well. You know, that's the contrast on the same, on the same stuff, on the same payroll. Craig Richards fights anyone, anytime. Why? Because he's, he stays prepared. That's what a professional does. That Josh needing these long camps, for what? And it boils down to this point I want to make about Joshua Boatze. That people need to understand. When he was coming through, it was him and Lerone Richards who were just smoking people as amateurs because they were big Ghanaian kids who matured physically before everybody else. And so they kind of had their way with the opposition when they were going up the age groups. So come 2012, when they're teenagers... They're like, let's try and get into this Ghana squad for, for the Olympics. Turns out to be a lot harder than they thought. The only kid who made it of that group was Isaac Dogbo. He made it through, but he didn't get through the qualifying event in Ghana. They called him back afterwards. So Lerone and Josh tried to box for Ghana. Didn't work out for them. Came back into the English system. But if you're prepared to fight for the Olympics in 2012, is it a surprise you start winning titles in 13, 14, 15, 16? It's not. You've been ready. So when you look at his rivals, um, where was Sterling in 2012? I think he was on holiday in New York. The only guy I know who went to New York on holiday and didn't take his boxing gloves. You know, Sterling was kind of between multiple worlds. Aziz, embryonic amateur, still learning his craft. And that shows you how long I've known Dan. I know what Dan was like back then. He wasn't ready for that top, top level um, where he's ascending to now. Craig, uh, Craig was down at Palmer's and Craig was still learning. So Dan and Craig, like in terms of experience, are kind of peers because they kind of came, they kind of bubbled through at the same time. But at this point, Josh is really well ahead. And this is just the Southeast London. Then you've got guys like Lyndon Arthur. He was getting up to speed. Uh, what's the other lad's name from up north? Uh... Dean Lang, he's getting up to speed. So Josh was just ahead of these guys. And what's happened over the last decade is where Josh had that boxing maturity over them, that gap has closed. The physical maturity gap has closed. So people who are miles behind and looked at Josh as the, the standard bearer don't do that anymore. Look at Dan Aziz. Three years ago, Dan was looking up and going, right, imagine being where Josh is right now. And Dan's just gone zoop, 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 zoop. Become the more credible threat. That's where we're at right now with Joshua Boatze. He has it all to prove. If he ends up fighting some Romanian, some Lithuanian, or whoever it is, we know that they're not serious. Because then they're just telling us, oh, we're just going to have Dan and, and Josh fight, and that's going to make a ton of money. It's not going to make a ton of money. Because as much as I love Dan Aziz and as much as I will bang the Dan Aziz drum, 
Dan is big in the hardcore boxing world. That's where Dan is big. And in the hardcore boxing world, you generally don't buy tickets. You never see these hardcores at shows. Because a lot of them don't live locally. Josh? Josh isn't a standalone star. So when you put this show on, you're going to do it in Wembley, the, the arena. And you're like, how much money can that really generate? Not that much. Dan will make the same amount of money fighting anyone in that Wembley arena. I don't think he needs it. He'll still take the fight because that's the man Dan is, but I don't think he needs it. I think Josh needs this more than Dan does. So I don't, I don't know. I can see this just being an attempt by Sky to just steal what was over at Matchroom and bring Matchroom to its knees with, with the aim really of bringing Eddie Hearn back and just showing, look, we're, we're the big dogs in this country. You can come back if you want on our terms. And I think Josh is just a small pawn in this game. And I don't think it's a great thing. I don't think he's covered himself in glory. I don't know where he goes from here. I still think the training team's wrong. I still think his approach is wrong. I think he needs to change his mindset and just be a guy that says, I'll fight anyone, anywhere, anytime, whatever that takes. But then I also understand from his perspective, he has one career, one bad move, and it's all over. But to be fair, there have been a few bad moves, and it's still not over. But maybe this is the, this is the fork in the road. He's... He's either going to go on to become another Bivol or he's going to go on to become another, I don't even know, Ricky Summers. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully to Ricky Summers at all. I'm just saying you might be that guy who could have done more. But yeah, I've heard people talk about all of this. I, I just think personally, he's been rather dismissive and disrespectful of, of the guys who put money in his pocket and actually made him relevant to boxing and non-boxing fans i also think them dragging dan aziz away from his celebration and making this about josh this week and not about dan's win i think is also very disrespectful and points something to me that maybe dan's not a priority for sky because they should have been like a proper celebration of what dan achieved like joshua Barty is a small part of this you know dan's bringing titles to sky going abroad and fighting so yeah that just a disappointing episode all around as i describe it to be fair uh but that's boxing for you you know we we love to recycle old rope how many chances do people like frankie gavin get how many chances do people get and you're like mate why are you digging this guy up he's never shown an appetite to be successful to be great what are you doing here Yet the cycle carries on. And on that note, I'm going to tap out and say thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. I just thought I'd do this one impromptu, nice and quick. You know, just capture the heat of the story. <laughs>